Let's turn together to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Last week, in chapter 5, Nathan faithfully laid out for us Paul's ministry of reconciliation. Paul tells the Corinthians, he says, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. Then he goes on to talk about what it is that has taken hold of his heart. He says, the love of Christ is what is compelling us, is what is controlling us in this ministry, is dragging us from town to town, telling the good news of Jesus to a dying world. He says, we are fully convinced of this, that one has died for all, and that this one, this Son of God, this man named Jesus Christ, has died so that whosoever would believe in Him will not perish, but have eternal life. He says, all of this is from God. God is the one who has sent His Son God is the one who offered His only Son up to be put to death on a cross for as a sacrifice to atone for all of the sins of every person who would ever trust and believe in Jesus. He closes out the chapter saying, For our sake God made Him who knew no sin to be sin so that we in Him might become the righteousness of God. Paul says, here's us over here, sinners, condemned to die, disobeying God, unable to do a single thing to please God, just waiting for the eternal wrath of God to fall on us. That's us over here. And then he says over here is Jesus, the eternal Son of God, who lives under the eternal pleasure of the Father, who came to earth and lived a perfectly righteous life fully pleasing, fully acceptable in the presence of God forever. And Paul says that for every person who puts their trust in this Jesus, all of the things that are recorded that you have ever done, the worst things you've done in your life, all the sins, the worst thoughts, the worst lusts of your heart, the most hateful things that you've ever done, every rebellious thing, Paul says, He will never count those against you ever again. And then he says the righteousness, the pure, perfect, pleasing righteousness that Jesus accomplished in his life. He takes that from Jesus and he puts it on you. And all of the sinful, wicked things that you did to deserve the eternal wrath of God, God has put on Jesus on the cross and has extinguished all of his eternal wrath so that all that remains for you is the eternal pleasure of God the Father. And the death that was awaiting you has been obliterated on the day that Jesus walked out of the grave. God did all of this in order to reconcile us back to himself. You see, the relationship between you and God was broken. There was a chasm between you. You were alienated, hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, Paul says. 
There was no way for you to work your way back to God. And so God sent Jesus to come, to gather us up, to rescue us, to save us, to die for us, to cleanse us, and then to bring us back into a relationship with God where God doesn't begrudgingly allow us in, where He doesn't put us in a corner and say, I guess I'll tolerate you, but He brings us back. And as we come in Jesus Christ, the only thing that we hear is, this you are my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased forever. That is the ministry of reconciliation that Paul says he has been brought into. Paul tells the Corinthians, I am an agent of God. I've been sent as his minister. I am an ambassador of Christ, sent to the ends of the earth, pleading with lost sinners who are alienated, separated from God forever, crying out to them, please be reconciled to God. Believe in Jesus Christ who was crucified for your sins. Believe now that He lives to give you new life. That if anyone is in Christ, He is a new creation. You don't have to be that old person you were before. Jesus ever lives to bring you into the eternal favor of God the Father. So this morning... In chapter 6, Paul looks the Corinthians square in the eye. He looks us in the eye. And after he has laid out the gospel, he looks at us and he says, Now, today is the day of salvation. So if you've turned to 2 Corinthians chapter 6, let's stand together as we hear the word of God beginning in verse 1. Working together with Him, with God, then. We appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For He says, In a favorable time I listened to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. We put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry, but as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance, in afflictions, in hardships, in calamities, in beatings, in imprisonments, in riots, in labors, in sleepless nights, in hunger, by purity, by knowledge, by patience, by kindness, by the Holy Spirit, by genuine love, by truthful speech, and by the power of God. With the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, we are treated as impostors and yet are true, as unknown and yet well known, as dying and behold we live, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. In return, I speak as to children. Widen your hearts also. You may be seated.
I don't know why you came here today. Maybe it's because you have always come to church and that's just what you do on Sunday morning. Maybe you came here because you were invited by somebody else. Or maybe you came because your parents drug you here. Maybe you came because you'd like to see your friends. Whatever your reason is this morning, I know one thing is for sure. God brought you here to receive His grace. And you already have. Even before we heard from 2 Corinthians chapter 6, as I laid out for you what was preached last week in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, in hearing the gospel of God, the grace of God has come to you this morning. This morning Paul begins his passage where we're used to the sermon ending with the summons, the invitation. He says, you have received the grace of God this morning. Do not receive that grace in vain. Do not allow this morning to pass you by. Do not presume upon upon His kindness and His forbearance and His patience, saying, tomorrow I'll be saved. Next Sunday, I'll make a decision for Jesus Christ. Maybe after college or once I have a family and I need to, you know, I have established life, then I will start to live for the Lord. If you are here today, In this sanctuary, and you are not burning in an eternal hell, it is because of the grace of God that you are hearing the gospel this morning. Paul says to you, today is the day of salvation. Behold, now is the favorable time. God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. He has been patient with you day after day up until today. But today is the day that you need to believe. Do not put it off another day. Do not harden your heart. Now is the day of salvation. In verse 2, Paul quotes from Isaiah chapter 49, which we heard several readings from earlier in the service. For he says, In a favorable time I listened to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. Maybe you feel like nobody has been answering your prayers. Maybe you feel like in your life God has forgotten you. But how can we believe that when we look at Jesus Christ? God has heard us. God has sent help, he says. Jesus holds out his hands and he shows you the scars that he received dying on a cross so that he could save sinners like you and like me. And Isaiah continues, how could I forget you? I will never forget you. Behold, I've engraved you on the palms of my hands.
In fact, long before any of us ever existed, before we could ever cry out for mercy, he says, I heard you. I sent my son 2,000 years ago so that today you could hear the gospel and receive the grace of God. His, His ears, he says, my ears are now open. This is the favorable time. If you will only come and beg and plead with me for mercy, I will hear you and I will receive you. And I have sent my son to save you. You don't have to wait for me to come down there and pray with you. You can pray and plead for mercy for God. And right now, in your seat, you can believe and receive Jesus. Today, now is the time. Now is the day of salvation. Imagine for a moment that you live next door to a judge. And one day that judge's son was playing out in the yard. His his only son was playing out in in your yard at the yard next door, and for some reason, something possessed you, you decided to go, and you tackled that child, and you bound him up with rope. And then you paraded that child through the streets of Newberry, and you began to mock, and, and to cry out shameful things about this, this little boy. And you paraded him through downtown Newberry, and as people are hearing, they're coming out of the storefronts, and out of their homes, and they're following you, and you paraded that child back into your neighborhood. Back into the front yard of your neighbor. And then you called to the front door of your neighbor's house and you called that judge out of his house. And as he came out of his front door, you held a pistol to his son's head and you slaughtered his only son in front of him and in front of all the witnesses of the entire town of Newberry. Now, imagine on the day before you're supposed to appear in court where the judge and every single citizen of Newberry witnessed you murdering the only son of that judge. Imagine if the day before he sent a messenger to you that said, you're guilty and you tomorrow are going to be condemned to die. But today, if you will come and grovel before me and plead for mercy, I will forgive everything. Brothers and sisters, Paul says, I am that messenger. Because you've done something even worse than what I've just described. And you haven't done it to another human. You've done it to the eternal God, creator of the universe. Before God and the whole world, you drove nails into the hands and feet of his only son and you executed him and mocked him in front of the whole world. And tomorrow, On that judgment day, when you stand before the throne, things are even worse than you could ever imagine because God the Father has raised that son that you mocked and ridiculed and executed and he has placed him on the judgment throne so that when you stand for judgment, it will be the one that you put to death who will determine your eternal fate. That's what's coming tomorrow. But Paul says today, If you receive the message, 
Today can be the day of salvation for you. Will you receive Jesus Christ today? The judge sent a messenger. And that messenger comes to us this morning and his first thing to say to us is, Behold, now is the day of salvation. That is his message. Do not wait till tomorrow. Judgment comes tomorrow. Today is the day to repent and believe. Paul's second point this morning, he says, as a messenger sent from God, is to call us, number two, to see what lengths See what lengths he has gone to bring that message to us today. Before we can get into all the stumbling blocks and the suffering that Paul endured, he he first makes sure that we recognize that he he first of all has made sure he's not going to become or put a stumbling block in anyone else's path when it comes to coming to Jesus. Look at verse 3. He says, we put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. Paul says, as a minister of the gospel, as an ambassador of Jesus Christ, as a messenger from God, the last thing that I would ever want to do is cause anyone to stumble on their way to Jesus. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise, to the foolish, both to the rich and to the poor, both to the black and to the white, both to the gay, lesbian, transgender and queer and to the straight, both to the self-righteous churchgoer and to the drunkard and every person in between. God strike me dead if I ever try to prevent a single person from coming to Jesus. And let anyone be accursed. Whoever gets it in their mind to try to convince someone that they don't belong as a part of the gospel here at College Street Baptist Church. Jesus said, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. For you neither enter into it yourselves or allow those who would enter to go in. We say to ourselves, but I don't do that. I would never try to keep someone from coming to Jesus. I would never intentionally put a stumbling block in someone's way. But it's usually a lot more subtle than that, isn't it? It starts in our minds when we think, well, I just don't think I want people of that color in my church. We just, we don't need any more members that are that age here. I, I don't really want people who hold that political view to be sitting in the pews with me hearing the gospel. We, you know what? We just can't handle another poor person right now. We've got enough problems of our own. Unfortunately, God did not consult you or I when He was predestining the souls of men and women before the foundation of the world. And you know what? You and I do not get to pick who God is going to save. 
Paul realized that to be entrusted with such a precious message of the gospel would require him to go to very great lengths to take that message to all those who need to hear it. See what great lengths Paul is willing to go in order to make sure that you and I are hearing the gospel in Newberry, South Carolina in 2018. In verses 4 through 10, he lists out all of the circumstances and the suffering that he endured. And they fall into kind of three different categories. Um, We see that first the suffering which produces endurance. And then the endurance then secondly produces character. And then that character produces hope. In a lot of ways it follows the logic that he uses in Romans when he says we rejoice even in our suffering. Because we know that suffering produces endurance and endurance character and character hope, which does not put us to shame. So Paul begins this list of sufferings by saying that his primary duty in all of this is simply to endure. That's his job. As as the Lord is, is dragging him along through all of these things, as he's going to these great lengths, it's simply his job to persevere. And to endure. He says in affliction. In hardships. In calamities. In beating after beating. In imprisonments. In riots. In labors. In many sleepless nights. In hungry days. Do you see what lengths Paul has gone to get this gospel message to you? He could have avoided all of this if he would just have been willing to get a day job and let somebody else be in charge of taking the gospel to the nations. All of these sufferings came upon Paul simply because he continued to endure as a minister of the gospel. And this endurance produced a certain character in the person of Paul. Look at the next section in verse 6. By purity, by knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech, or the word of truth, and the power of God. In the midst of these great sufferings, Paul was becoming the most beautiful minister of the gospel. As Isaiah says, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Because as Paul was beaten, those beatings were producing purity in Paul. Calamity and distress only strengthened his knowledge and understanding of who God was. Distress only strengthened him. His afflictions produced patience. And as he watched the world thrown into riots over the message of the gospel, he showed them supreme kindness, all the while laboring in the Holy Spirit and being filled in his heart with a genuine love for the lost even for those who rejected him, boldly proclaiming the word of truth and the power of God. So he endured the sufferings and it produces this beautiful character in the minister. And this character then produced hope. With the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, we're treated as impostors and yet are true. 
as unknown and yet well known, as dying and behold we live, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing and yet possessing everything. Paul says it did not matter what the world had to say about me because I had a certain hope. I knew who I was in Jesus Christ. It didn't matter what my enemies did to me. He knew in the depths of his soul that day by day as they were beating his outer self, the inner man was being renewed. He had a hope in Christ that what the world and his enemies had to say about him, only the opposite was true. He believed that town after town, as he was enduring in the ministry, that Jesus was speaking over every town he would go to and saying, Behold, I am making all things new. See what lengths the Apostle Paul went to to make sure the gospel reached us. Immense suffering. Personal loss. Daily peril. I, I mean, you read this list and you have to ask yourself, what more could we possibly ask of Paul? Well, you know, Paul, I, I like what you've done here. You know, the, 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 uh, the beatings. Oh yeah, that's good. The sleepless nights. Real good. And yeah, you threw in there uh, the imprisonment. That was a nice touch. But uh, I hate even to ask Paul. But could you swim across a pool full of sharks for me? I think that would really seal the deal. I mean, it's that ridiculous. What else could we ask of Paul? He has done everything. He's gone to every length. And the Apostle Paul is going to these great lengths not to commend himself as the Pope, not for us to recognize him as a king or even as a ruler. He says, I did all of these things so that you would merely recognize me as a servant of God. That's why I'm enduring all of these terrible things is so that you will simply recognize that the message that I have, the ministry I'm enduring in, is something that God has given to me to pass along to you. I just want you to recognize I'm here to serve you, folks. That's what Paul says. Not only do we see the lengths that Paul was willing to go, think about what lengths God has gone to for your sake. Sending men and women like Paul, willing to weather every suffering to bring you the gospel. Sending the word of truth down from heaven over a thousand pages, telling you how to be saved through his son Jesus. Sending his Holy Spirit into your heart to bring you conviction, to slowly warm you to his love so that when you hear the gospel, you will respond and believe. And we haven't even mentioned the greatest thing, sending His own Son to die on a cross to save you. See what lengths God has gone to. Brothers and sisters, do you realize the sufferings of Paul pale in comparison to what Jesus Christ endured for our sake? 
see what lengths. Brothers and sisters of Crowley Street Baptist Church, I think before we move on to our final point, we have to ask ourselves, in view of all of this, what lengths are you willing to go to to take the gospel to the lost? What lengths are you willing to go to in order to take the gospel to the ends of the earth? But it makes me feel uncomfortable. But my friends and family, they're going to look at me weird. But it's, it's just so far. It's so across the Atlantic. I don't know if I, can, if I can stand flying coach for that long. And the jet lag. Ugh. It costs how much to support a missionary? I don't know if I can spare that many lattes. We certainly have less obstacles than the Apostle Paul, and yet we have the same Holy Spirit, the same word of truth, the same power of God, and certainly less opposition than the Apostle Paul faced. And so the question again is, what is stopping us? We can't plant churches. Look how small we are. We can't be missionaries. We're just small town folk from Newberry, South Carolina. We can't give any more to missions work. We've got a roof leak. Can you imagine the Apostle Paul reaching his arm around us and patting us on the shoulder and saying, There, there. There, there. You really do have things hard, don't you? It's okay. I'm sure God will totally understand why millions are dying and going to hell because they've never heard the name of Jesus. And when you get there, you just tell God, we couldn't do anything. We had a roof leak. I'm sure he'll understand. What lengths are you willing to go? What are we willing to suffer in order to take the name of Jesus to a lost and perishing world? Secondly, see what lengths. Finally, Paul turns to the Corinthians at the end of this section and he he zones his eyes and he squares up with the Corinthians and he takes them by the shoulders and he looks them in the face And he has said, today is the day of salvation. And then he lays out his ministry and says, can't you see what great lengths I have gone to bring you the message of the gospel? And his final appeal to the Corinthians is simple. Number three, he says, enlarge your hearts. Look at verse 11. We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is open wide. You're not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. In return, I speak to you as children. Widen your heart also. Enlarge your hearts. What do the Corinthians owe to this man, this servant of God, who's gone to such great lengths to bring the gospel to them? Who has endured through suffering and persecution and beatings even though they owe Paul their very lives, all Paul asks of them is this. He says, can't you make a little room for me in your heart? Can't you just 
widening a little bit and let me in. Enlarge your hearts, brothers and sisters. As we close, I I think we need to realize that this means three things to enlarge our hearts. Number one, we need to love the ministers of the gospel. We need to love the ministers of the gospel. People like Paul. When men who preach at College Street Baptist Church open their mouth like Paul did and proclaim the gospel and open their hearts wide to the church and day after day care for the needs of the saints and and volunteer to be set aside as an example of endurance through great suffering and, and, and difficulty. And as you watch the Lord develop character in their, in their life and you see them walk day by day in hope. You need to enlarge your heart towards them. You need to show love toward the ministers of the gospel. When they come and they open God's word and they show you what God commands and then they call you to obedience. When they plead with you to become a dedicated volunteer in our children's ministry. When they ask you to go out and and simply try to share the gospel with someone. Or when they train up Sunday school teachers. And and they work hard to put together discipleship resources for you during the Sunday school hour. And all they simply ask you to do is, will you please come at 10 o'clock to Sunday school. Or they week after week ask their wife and family to open their home. And invite you in to come into small group week after week. And they say, will you not just come. And they beg you to sit on their couch and to drink their coffee and and to receive the word in the middle of the week. You do it not because they're twisting your arm. Not because you feel guilty. You do those things because you're enlarging your heart. Because you're willing to give that minister of the gospel a little place there. In your heart. Secondly, enlarging your hearts means even more that we show our love to the God of the gospel. Not only do we make room in our hearts for the ministers of the gospel, people like Paul, but we make room in our hearts for the God of the gospel. Verse 11, Paul shows us that our mouth and our hearts are connected. Look at verse 11. We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is open wide. This morning God says to you, Christian, I have spoken freely to you, O Christian. My heart is open wide. Will you love this God of the gospel? Well, what does loving God look like? Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you're going to open your heart to God, it means you're going to obey what He has spoken to us. 
It means that when you come to church, you come expecting to be summoned to live out the gospel in some way. And you come with the dedication in your heart that whatever God calls me to do today, I'm going to do in the power of the Spirit as best to the best of my ability. I'm going to seek to obey. And every time you open God's Word, you're expecting Him to call you to obey so that you can enlarge your heart and show your love. For the God who has spoken and opened in his heart to you. You're praying day by day the Spirit would help you and would pry that heart a little bit more open day after day. You wouldn't be constricted towards the God of the gospel. So we need to love the ministers of the gospel. We need to love the God of the gospel. But finally, enlarging our hearts means loving others with the gospel. Paul tells the Corinthians in chapter 12, he sa- uh, verse 12, he says, you're not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own af- affections. Paul says your hearts are constricted. And you know what? Maybe that is our problem. Maybe that's what's wrong with us. We need to enlarge our hearts because our hearts are tight and calloused and unloving. Maybe it's because of fear. We're afraid to let the poor, the nations, people who are different than us, the destitute into our heart, sinners into our heart because sinners will break your heart. Maybe it's because of a desire for comfort We've become so comfortable in not loving and not caring and being callous towards the needs of others and being callous towards the lost. We just want to be comfortable. Don't bother me. Or maybe you don't love others because you have a heart of stone yourself. You can't enlarge a stone heart. Maybe you don't care in the least bit that your friend, your coworker, your mom, your dad, the guy next door is going to die and go to hell. Maybe you don't care at all that there are people who are going to be born, raised, and die in places like Indonesia, and the only God they will ever hear of is named Allah. And He has no interest in saving them. And maybe you could not care less that those people are dying and going to an eternal hell. And if that's the case... It's because you have a heart of stone. Today is the day of salvation. Do not leave here without crying out for mercy from Jesus Christ. Tomorrow judgment is waiting. You need to repent and believe today. See what great lengths our God has gone so that you could hear the gospel here in Newberry, South Carolina today. What great lengths are we going to be willing to go to? Will the love of Christ compel us as we seek to enlarge our hearts? Let's pray. God, we know that we cannot really love someone until we are willing to open our mouths to tell them about Jesus Christ. You demonstrated your love to us and that you spoke to us and in these last times you have spoken to us by your very Son. 
God, you have widened your heart to us. May we enlarge our hearts towards one another, towards you, and towards this world who desperately needs more ambassadors of Jesus Christ. We pray that there would not be a single one here who receives the grace of God today in vain. We pray that you would save in Jesus' name. Amen.